Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Are you searching for the best in online black radio? Then go to BlackTalkRadioNetwork.com. Helping you filter through the noise. Real talk. Black talk. The internet is full of half-truths and all-out lies. We've all seen them, and many people on social media complaining about it. Here's your chance to show and prove. WorldAfropedia.com is a black-owned and operated encyclopedia. There are several thousand articles, but we need help. We can't uncover all the truth ourselves. So please, join us and become a writer, editor, or blogger for WorldAfropedia.com today. Every little bit counts. We owe it to the future generations to put the truth out there. Visit WorldAfropedia.com, the African-Centered Encyclopedia, a global database of African knowledge for the purpose of bringing about global African wisdom and understanding. WorldAfropedia.com Three men have been arrested and facing charges now after a pair of robberies at UAlbany's main campus late last night. The three are from Brooklyn. They are all students at UAlbany. Seven students at the University of Albany were charged with one count of hazing, a misdemeanor after allegedly forcing a Bronx teen to drink half a gallon of vodka. Albany students were taken to Albany Medical Center overnight after a fight that broke out at an off-campus party. Duffy died after a night of heavy drinking at an off-campus home in November. He and five other students were rushed to the hospital for alcohol poisoning. An online bomb threat ends in felony charges for one university at Albany student. About an hour ago, we were notified about a UAlbany student in critical condition after a night of drinking. A UAlbany student has been arrested after allegedly breaking into another student's dorm and sexually abusing her. Danny Lee is charged with burglary and sex abuse. The incident happened overnight Thursday. Two UAlbany students are in custody today after police say they held up another student on campus. Stephen Keshola and Kareem Abdelmanim are facing robbery, assault, grand larceny, conspiracy charges. student Derek Engelman you see here. He's in jail without bail right now in Albany County on a slew of charges including burglary and sex abuse. The Albany and Gilderland police are investigating tonight after they say they found a dog dead in the woods near one of the buildings on campus. A U Albany college student is dead tonight after police say that he drank too much alcohol. She was one of five teens rushed to the hospital over the weekend and was unconscious when officers got to the off-campus house. Just seven people now face charges after police say that they're 
hazing of UAlbany students joining fraternity went too far. Officers say that they found pledges face down in water and begging for mercy. But as Brandon Lewis discovered, neighbors say that that incident and others like it are all too common. What I can say is that uh, that was an isolated incident and that uh, there hasn't been an incident since. New Albany has a reputation of being so outrageous and dangerous. I don't think anyone was surprised that this incident happened in the first place. I think what was unique about this case was how aggressively the university, the media, and the DA's office responded once race was brought up. The cows context of white supremacy. Gusty Renegade in for another broadcast, hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy. Today's date, Wednesday, November 30th, 2016. So I have been told I will be here tomorrow for workplace racism, same time, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Uh, the program for today, one of our listeners, and I believe in the Florida area, uh, they participated in our compensatory calling this past weekend, and they mentioned a case that we had talked about quite a bit uh, over the past year almost, uh, the incident that happened at the University of Albany, uh, which is in New York State, uh, not New York City, but still New York State, uh, New York State, uh, where these three black female scholars, uh, they reported that they were on a bus. It was a late weekend evening uh, and that they were racially terrorized uh, by these intoxicated whites uh, on a bus. Uh, it was white females, white males involved, uh, believed to be intoxicated. They did not get assistance. Uh, this guy talked about uh, quite a bit. And then after a few weeks after the initial reports came out, uh, they announced that they had video footage uh, from the bus uh, and that the footage contradicted uh, with these three young females, what they alleged uh, that they had been racially attacked. Uh, and they decided that they were going to charge the three black females. They were going to charge them with uh, making a false report uh, and that they actually were the aggressors against the whites uh, on the bus. Uh, we talked about this incident, kind of followed up. Uh, they were the three black female scholars. They were also uh, facing disciplinary action uh, at the school. Uh, we talked about this, uh, I think, kind of the last bits that I heard uh, were around the summertime, around the time shortly after uh, the punitive action was taken by the school. Our listener informed us over the weekend that there was this great new uh, documentary film uh, giving more information uh, about this case, what took place, uh, and just more information for folks to consider. Uh, I remember telling people back when all this took place that I think this was a really important incident, uh, something that we should kind of keep an eye on, uh, pay attention as uh, things unfold. So I'm glad we are having the opportunity this evening uh, to re-examine uh, this incident uh, and learn uh, as much as we can, what this incident uh, reveals about the system of racism, white supremacy. Uh, the documentary, uh, it is titled Indefensible, uh, the Wrongful Prosecution of the U. Albany Three. Uh, it is available online. Uh, the address you should be able to click the link in the description if you're listening at Black Talk Radio. Uh, the address is indefensiblediocumentary.com. Indefensible Documentary 
dot com. Uh, you can go there to get uh, more information. You can watch it. You can download it, uh, share it with other folks. Really interesting uh, segment, and we're so glad to have the filmmakers with us on the program this evening. Uh, for the filmmakers, they are calling in. Uh, if you could press star six on your line and then the number one, and that way I'll be able to recognize uh, where our filmmakers are located uh, since they are calling us. So again, if you could press star six, and there we go, have one of them. Uh, the filmmakers for Indefensible, are you with us? Hi, hello. Greetings, yes sir, we can hear you. That's amazing, I wasn't sure how this was going to work. <laughs> it's uh, not too not too hard, just, uh, just a phone call away. Uh, so thankful you could share a bit of your time with us on the program. Uh, for our listeners, uh, just letting folks know, uh, our guest, he wanted to remain anonymous uh, just for reasons of, of personal uh, safety. Do you want to share with our listeners before we get started uh, why you raised those concerns about remaining anonymous? Uh, yeah, uh, I'm in, in the community that I'm in, I'm sure it's not uh, a huge secret uh, who was behind the documentary, but just for um, to keep the focus on the, the case at large and the uh, the black leadership that's already in the community kind of pushing the campaign to support these women and uh, to keep the focus on them uh, and not the, the filmmakers or, or the people behind the scenes. Uh, we, you know, we figured to be in the best interest to remain anonymous. Um, and also just because anytime you go against, you know, the police or, or district attorneys uh, or city, you do run a risk of some uh, retaliation or reprisal. So uh, we figured we could, sub, you know, subvert all that by just kind of putting out the documentary uh, as is and letting it speak for its, itself. I think I got disconnected. I was confused because I wasn't hearing uh, anything. So I was trying to figure out if I got disconnected or if our guest got uh, disconnected. Okay. The point that I dropped. Oh, that's right. I took I took over the show. We did a commercial break. It was great. (laughs) Much obliged. Much obliged. Okay. (laughs) When I dropped out, you were uh, giving your concerns about uh, why you wanted to be anonymous, keeping the focus uh, on the victims uh, in the case, Mm -hmm. uh, and and what you wanted the priority uh, to be and that it was not too difficult for people in your area uh, to figure out the people that were involved with this project uh, to begin with. Um, yeah. You uh, just for clarity, just to ask um, any of the, the victims, the three black uh, female scholars in this case, uh, Alexis Briggs, uh, their names are all publicized. This is not anything to uh, Ariel Agudio and uh, Asia Burwell. Uh, were they affiliated with the project in any way? Um, we were in contact with them, uh, when we decided to do the undertaking. So they knew that it was coming out. Um, I think the incident itself, uh, believe it or not, is kind of bigger than them, uh, as an individual. So, uh, we had planned to do the documentary, even if they, they didn't consent to it, because we just felt that this is something that could potentially happen to, uh, other, uh, you know, people in similar situations. So we were hopeful that they would be on board with it. And, um, you know, without saying too much, because they are still under, you know, legal proceedings, um, they were aware that uh, the documentary was uh, being created. Okay. Anybody involved with the project, uh, like related to them or have any, you know, relationship, as they would say, with any of these folks, just that might be uh, important to know about who was involved with this project? Yeah, as we were gathering information, we um, we reached out to the families. We reached out to um, the 
individuals on the bus, both them and also uh, other, you know, people who were uh, witnesses and present on the bus, people who were interrogated by the police. Um, we reached out to uh, friends and other people who are familiar with the UAlbany campus and, and culture and, uh, and the, the defense attorneys. So uh, we pretty much reached out to all parties involved with the exception of the, um, the prosecution because their, their uh, stance has already been well publicized and, and uh, put out into the media uh, and also uh, law enforcement because we had all of the uh, discovery files and everything that was uh, presented from law enforcement to the defense team. Wow, that is interesting. Again, you can watch the video, download it, share it, indefensibledocumentary.com. Uh, I did not see, unless I missed it, any of the white people uh, who offered their perspective. Did you reach out to any of them, any of the white people who said that, hey, they were victims who took a different stance from what was reported about this incident originally to ask them to be a part of the project as well? Uh, we didn't reach out to them to ask them to be involved, but we did reach out to um, to a few of the people who were uh, on the bus and uh, who were who were witnesses. Mm-hmm. Um, again, the point of the documentary wasn't necessarily to focus on uh, the side of the uh, white people involved there, and and we we felt that their side had already been presented pretty well by uh, by the media and law enforcement, the university, and everything. And the the purpose was to kind of give another perspective. But in doing so, we really wanted to know where they were coming from. So we did reach out to um, some folks. We didn't, you know, they weren't uh, really responsive once they uh, learned what the nature of the documentary was. Um, but we were still able to get, you know, all their uh, original witness statements and testimony and all the, the video testimony that they had given to the police. So we had uh, that to refer to. So we definitely got all sides involved when we when we started the uh, documentary. Okay. Okay. Uh, for our listeners, we asked this question of all the folks who come on the program. Uh, you are are you a black male? Uh, yes. Okay. Important information to know. Uh, The University of Albany, for folks that are listening in, uh, according to the information listed online, the student body, undergraduate student body, is uh, approximately 13,000. And the black percentage of that is about a little over 17 percent. So we're talking approximately 2,200 black students on campus. Does that sound about accurate uh, to you? Correct. Yep. Okay. Uh, Were you a student? Are you a student now? Have you ever been a student at the University of Albany? Uh, I'm very familiar with the uh, the campus in the area, and even in doing this documentary, uh, we had people go out and kind of um, film and document the the climate uh, on the nights, similar to like the night that this occurred. Uh, we had people go and not not recreate the environment, but just kind of uh, get reacclimated to it. And um, yes, the people who were involved in making the documentary are, are are from the area, and it's a relatively small area, and we're intimately familiar with uh, the university and and the. Um, the police and and the district attorney. Okay. Okay. You yourself are not a student. I am not a student. No. Okay. Um, why does the documentary indefensible, why does it start with this kind of montage? This is also the audio segment we began the program with. Why does it start with this montage of all these different, uh, criminal incidents that have happened involving students at the university of Albany? Uh, well, for two reasons. One, uh, because we were, just to be petty, like we had an issue with the way that the university has been treating these women and we wanted to, um, to agitate them. Uh, but on a more like, uh, like logistical and purposeful meaning, it was really just because people aren't familiar with the culture 
on the campus and uh, how the university uh, atmosphere is. And we felt that this case had kind of, um, the, once the spotlight was shown on it, they were trying to make it seem as if this incident was like extremely unique and, and the circumstances happening uh, deserved all of this attention from the, the police and this um, aggressive prosecution. And uh, we just wanted to remind people that this is not a safe campus. The culture on the campus is, is uh, very dangerous and there's uh, rampant misogyny and racism and violence and abuse that happens there all the time. Uh, the only thing that made this case unique was that race was brought up and it was prosecuted um, very harshly. And some of those other incidents that you saw uh, in the news clippings were kind of swept under the rug. They weren't prosecuted that harshly. Um, very few people were arrested at some of those riots that you saw in that footage. So we were kind of doing a comparison of the way they tr the university treated this incident versus how they've treated incidents in the past. Mm, fascinating. Wow. It Just from what I saw in that montage of all these other incidents and it seemed like a lot of these other incidents involved uh white students unless you know i missed something uh it seemed like a big theme was white students and their debauchery i mean you had deaths from what i heard in that clip like people dying drink, drinking uh consuming too much alcohol and and all of these other shenanigans going on um white students alcohol uh, on this program consistently. I remind our listeners that's a dangerous combination. Is that something that gets seriously addressed on campus? Because that seems like it was a major contributing factor to the incident with these three black female scholars on the night in question, uh, alcohol, specifically white people uh, under the influence of alcohol. But is that something that's specifically addressed underage uh, drinking and just binge consumption of alcohol? Um, yeah, so so campus drinking and some of the things that we showed at the beginning, uh, we've had people say, well, this this happens at every university. People drink at every university, and I, I think that's that's true uh, by and large. But uh, it's important to remember that U Albany is unique because um, there was a long period of time where SUNY Albany, in particular, was the number one party school in the country. And basically, what that meant was there were just raging parties and rampant alcohol use. So it's not like this is your run-of-the-mill uh, state university. Uh, for a long time, they were the top of the heap in terms of partying and uh, several events and uh, celebrations that used to occur at the, at the campus have been shut down because the uh, alcohol abuse was so rampant and people were dying um, from, from uh, overdosing. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so that, although that you know, stuff happens everywhere, uh, at UAlbany there's like a heightened uh, culture. And it, it, because it's predominantly a white school, it's usually involving um, white students. Uh, there's about 10% African Go to indefensibledocumentary.com um, and see the documentary. And if you're curious about ways that you can support these women, uh, you can click on the link to the right at the top of the page that has some uh, steps that you can do to help support uh, UAlbany 3. Outstanding. Outstanding. Um, just the statistical information uh, that you were talking about, since there's so much drinking is such a big issue and, and with these, some of these disciplinary problems on campus, do you know how many students on average are expelled per year at the University of Albany? Oh, no, I don't. Okay. I don't have those figures. Okay. That would be something I'd be curious to know because that has bearing on this case uh, with the disciplinary action that the university took against uh, these three uh, black female scholars. Uh, but that's something that I would, uh, I will do some digging just for my own uh, edification. Um, what, what was Definitely. One thing we did. One thing we did look at, though, was um, how often people who are suspended or expelled are, are present at their uh, their trial, their hearing at the campus. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
the vast majority of the time, over 90%, the student is there uh, to offer some defense for their own uh, student conduct hearing or trials where they could potentially be suspended or expelled. Mm-hmm. Now, that wasn't really afforded to these women because they were facing criminal proceedings at the same time. So they couldn't be at the uh, university trial, the university hearing to defend themselves because it would have been a conflict of interest and they could have uh, potentially incriminated themselves for the legal proceedings, which were also brought forth by the university. So it was an interesting dynamic where they couldn't even defend themselves at the, the SUNY trial, um, but they because they had to defend themselves at the criminal trial. Right, right. Important issue as well. Um, what, what was the budget uh, for this project? Uh, this is an independent project. It was pretty low budget. It was, uh, fortunately, there were just some talented and committed people um, who wanted to put this information out there. Um, if uh, you can do a lot now with a relatively small budget, so essentially, once we pro- procured the cameras um, and the, the video editing equipment, the rest really came down to um, coming up with the uh, the, the direction, uh, who we wanted to speak to, um, and kind of what the plan was uh, to proceed with the the narrative we we were trying to tell and what we were trying to convey to people. So um, it, it wasn't very expensive to produce, and that's just due to uh, good resource management and uh, people who were committed to getting this information out. Outstanding. Uh, I might have to tell our listeners, this to me seems like an outstanding uh, illustration of black self-respect coming to the aid of these uh, black female scholars. Um, I want to just kind of, you can address uh, concerns from the original incident uh, way back in January of this year, almost a year ago, uh, from how this uh, incident was originally reported uh, and what concerns you had about that, which you all try to highlight in the film. I just want to play a quick sound clip. This is from the film. And you all actually got some of the recordings uh, of the initial interviews uh, where these three victims mm-hmm. where they were reporting what happened uh, on the bus where they kind of were able to give some of their testimony to the enforcement officials uh, and you have some really important uh, points in this segment it's only about a minute or so uh, but just the thing I would like listeners to pay attention to because we focus a lot of attention on words on this program so ratchet becomes one important one and then the other theme uh, in terms of who gets to be loud and angry in public uh, and how we respond to a white person being loud and angry and even under the influence of alcohol in public and then how we respond to a black person who's perceived to be uh, loud or angry in public. Uh, We hear this quick uh, segment from the clip, Indefensible, uh, and then we will hear from the filmmaker, Context of White Supremacy. But then, like, behind our, our backs, well, their backs, but they didn't notice I was looking. She's rolling her eyes, and then I hear ratchet bitches. That's when she said, she made a comment and, and called me, like, a ratchet viewer. A for drunk girl and her friends yeah. called yeah. Ariel ratchet for being loud. I was, wait, wait, wait. Excuse me, I've never heard that term before. What does that mean? It's like ghetto, basically. I mean, it doesn't have to mean black people, but it's just like, if that's the first thing you're going to say, a lot of people black girls who just offered you a sandwich, it's kind of you, like you're only saying it because they're black. Ratchet is like, there's like another word for ghetto. So ratchet's like, like. <laughs> okay, it just, it's a derogatory term. Right, okay. Right, okay. So I'm really angry. I'm just like, are you serious? What did you say? Like, what did you just say? After, like, getting upset, everyone just says, calm down. So I was like, I'm just going to calm down. It's not even worth it. Like, they kept on even saying, it's not even worth it. Um, and I, like I said, my intention work wasn't uh, fighting her. So I just sat back down. But it was, it was like, cool down time. And I saw that she had, like, gotten quiet. So I was like, okay. 
like everything is going to be okay. So then we started uh, talking because they were like, why are you so mad? The guy started asking me. She started like talking, like having a conversation about how like, why is it that when I started getting loud, people are making some like, I'm like this loud black girl when this girl was being obnoxious and loud the whole time and no one said anything. And then she was like, how come, how come this white girl back here gets to sing loudly, nobody says anything, but as soon as I get up, stand up for myself, everybody's like, shut up, you're so ratchet, you're so ghetto. Because the whole bus was just saying like, shut up, be quiet, blah, blah, blah. they were just saying a whole bunch of stuff, and I was like, everyone tells us to shut up when we get into like an altercation, but no one said shut up to the girl who was screaming this whole uh, ride, like you guys even got involved with her singing, and that's annoying, like not all of us are drunk, not all of us want to hear that right now. Um, so basically, they're like understanding. They're like, oh, yeah, like we didn't even notice that everybody got riled up once the black girl start, started screaming. Ariel and the guy and the guys were talking civilly about how white people don't know how it feels to be black and how like, black people are always, you know, kind of getting treated differently for things that like white people would do, you know what I mean, in that sense. Um, so they were talking like civilly, so out of nowhere, the drunk girl in the back goes, Are you fucking kidding me? You guys are so ignorant. She was like, Oh my effing god, you guys are so effing ignorant. Get so fucking ignorant. ignorant. You have to get a fucking job. Blah 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 blah. Ignorant for thinking that like we're being treated differently because we're black. Being treated differently because they are black. Uh, that is directly from the film and, and direct recording uh, from immediately after this incident uh, took place, which is important for a lot of reasons. Just what is what is the significance of getting the recording of the interview and specifically what they're testifying as to how all of this began on that night back in January? Yeah, so so we wanted to make sure that we had uh, the video testimony from when they were uh, giving their statement to the police, uh, which was relatively shortly after the incident. And uh, we just wanted to, to, we had to know what the women were saying, you know, before we could um, uh, present it to people in a tangible way. So there was a lot of footage, uh, we should say, that the interrogations, and at this point, they're, they're victim statements, but they're being carried out almost like interrogations from the, from the get-go. The police were treating uh, the three women as if they were the, uh, the suspects. But um, there was uh, about 15 hours, just under 15 hours of uh, video footage of just their um, discussions with the police. And, um, you know, we just wanted to, dem you know, demonstrate the different ways that there was a, a lapse in judgment and the, and the police really weren't communicating with the uh, with the black women are really understanding the, the ways that race played a role in this. And that's kind of speaks to some of the disconnect between, um, you know, white law enforcement officers and attorneys and university administrators and, and the age difference there. So they, they had to literally explain why some of the things they were called were racist and um, antagonistic. Hmm. Uh, do you think, uh, I, that's certainly valid, right? You hear in the recording uh, where they're saying, hey, what, what does ratchet mean? The white people that are questioning her, what does that mean? I've never heard that term before. So that that's valid. That could be, I know there, I'm sure there are some black people who this might be their first time hearing that term. Uh, but do you think in terms of the conduct, the way that the enforcement officials responded and many others responded to the these black females claim their report that they were racially terrorized uh, with disbelief? Uh, as you said, not questioning them as though they are victims, questioning, interrogating them 
as though they could be the perpetrators in this crime from the very beginning. Do you think that could be just a part of a broader pattern of how whites deliberately practice racism against black people by invalidating our reports of racism? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the the way the black women were treated by the police was pretty startling to watch. Um, You could see from from early on they wanted to, they didn't want this to be about race. So the women would continue to bring up the ways that race played a role and the officers would continue to try to dismiss it. Um, and uh, one of the women in particular, you could tell that the police were trying to like almost break her and get her to like confess on, on behalf of her friends to say that uh, what, you know, what happened didn't happen or to try and dismiss the ways that race played a role. Um, they would talk about the discussion they were having about racism right before the fight broke out. And um, you know, the police would just kind of like, okay, after that, what happened after that, you know? Um, and then also, uh, when explaining what ratchet meant, the the women had to like break down exactly how it related to race, and uh, they chalked it up to just a derogatory term, kind of leaving out the racial component. And uh, and then lastly, when uh, the women were told that to get a job, which was ultimately the the final straw that that spurned the the, the fight, um, the police kind of just dismissed it and didn't even see the the racial connotation there. And uh, those three incidents, the ratchet, the conversation about race and being told to get a job, um, in my my mind, and I think in a lot of the people who viewed the documentary's mind, was more than enough information to make a call to 911 and say that the fight was racially motivated. You know, race played a factor in the fight. Um, And despite that, the police still charged them for falsely reporting a crime, a hate crime, saying race played no factor when it really was the predominant factor. The significance of of how uh, being perceived as angry black women, uh, how that impacted the situation? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if if this case were were white people would be handled differently, even if it were black men, it would be handled differently. I think because um, they're black women in particular, there's just this... uh, urge to not only not believe them, um, but also, also like further demonize them for it because, you know, boys are known for fighting, right? So that, that would kind of be, I think it would be more likely to be dismissed because they were women. Um, there was this campaign by the media and, um, and different people in, in social spec, uh, spheres kind of just trying to, um, you know, victim, uh, demonize them, um, and show them in, in what I believe was an even worse light. Um, and I also think the reason that their claims were dismissed as a hoax and so handily like dismissed and uh, just not believed uh, was related to them being women. Hmm. What, uh, what would your response be to folks who said, well, wait a minute, when, when this report first came out, uh, there were a sizable number of people who seemed to sympathize uh, with the black females in this case, uh, front runner for the white house at the time, Hillary Clinton, she tweeted about this incident uh, to help, you know, promote the story. Uh, as did many other news outlets, you even within the documentary. I mean, there, there's no shortage of media coverage, uh, particularly, I would say, over the first mm-hmm. two, three months of this incident. And even though there was a lot of criticism, there also was a sizable number of people who were, were very sympathetic and supportive. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, there definitely was early on. I think two, two things changed that one. Uh, very quickly, the university decided that they didn't want to um, defend the women. They wanted th- the race aspect to go away. So the easiest way to make the racial aspect go away is to say that the women made it up and kind of um, dismiss their claims. So I think uh, the university did that, and then the media jumped right on board to kind of, um, you know, discredit what they were saying. Um, 
Uh, I'm sorry. Well, can you repeat the last part of that? I, I think I, I, I blanked there for a second. Uh, just uh, in general, right, there, there was a lot of media attention on this incident, and there seemed to be a sizable number of oh. people who were sympathetic and supportive of the victims. Okay. It didn't Got seem- it back. Okay. Um, the other, the other thing that I think changed it too, aside from the media, right? So the media kind of switched the narrative. Um, the other thing that changed it was obviously when the video came out and the women were defending themselves. And I think if the women had been, this is such, you know, an odd dynamic, but if the women had been um, hurt more or didn't defend themselves, I think people would have been more sympathetic to them because the women defended themselves. It was easier to paint them as the the aggressors, okay? And um, I think that kind of ties into white supremacy too, because uh, every you know, typically if a person is being oppressed or abused, um, and they're a marginalized group, if they do it quietly or peacefully, they're liable to get more sympathy or more approval from uh, the powers that be in society at large. Because these women were involved in a fight and they had the audacity to fight back. Um, and it doesn't look pretty. Like, fights don't look pretty. Um, people were quick to say, these women are not victims. They fought back. They defended themselves. Um, they're the aggressors now. And uh, I think that was, those two reasons are, are why the support wavered uh, early on. Hmm. Okay. Uh, context of white supremacy, uh, we're discussing the documentary film uh, Indefensible, uh, which discusses, uh, examines uh, the persecution of the Albany Three, these three black female scholars, uh, from an incident that happened on a bus in January uh, of this year. Um, if folks have uh, questions you would like to ask, feel free to dial in as well. I know uh, we have a lot of listeners in the New York area and just in general, as I said, we've kind of been talking about this uh, film project for a good chunk of the year. Uh, what you, you address this in the film. What do you, what is your assessment of how the president of the university of Al- uh, Albany, president Jones, who is a black male uh, for listeners, how he responded to this incident. So, yeah, he, uh, he's, he's a black male. He's since stepped down, but uh, he's a black male, and also the district attorney prosecuting the case are, uh, is a black male. Um, the assistant DA is actually the, the one leading the uh, prosecution, but the head district attorney is a black male. And I think it's just important to remember that they're still working within uh, a system that is upheld by white supremacy and led by white supremacy. So um, just because they're black, I mean, it's not going to change the way uh, that they react to this or the way uh, that they handle this, this incident. And I think that's pretty apparent by the way that they handled it. Now, the president at the time, uh, he, you know, at first he was supportive. And I think early on, like within the first 24 to 48 hours, um, I believe the board um, got to him uh, or he just decided that this was something that they wanted that was going to tarnish the school's reputation. And I think, first and foremost, the job of the board and the president is to protect the school's reputation. And they colluded with, I believe, law enforcement um, and the mayor. I have some, some information to kind of corroborate that this, this backroom deal happened very early on to say that we're going to go with the story that the women lied the university's reputation will be saved. We'll just suspend them and they'll be prosecuted and that will help protect the university. And again, this happened before an investigation was even done. This was in the first 48 hours. So I think he changed his uh, stance early on because um, his first priority was to protect the university's reputation. Wow. There was uh, a white male student, or I'm sure there were many, but there was uh, a white male student, uh, Jeffrey Rosencheck, uh, where he wrote a letter where he demanded that uh, the former president uh, Jones, that he 
uh, apologize for the way that he conducted himself uh, when all of this uh, first happened, uh, just expressed outrage. And they, he had to give like a long press conference. President Jones at the time, he had to give a long press conference uh, after it came out later that the victims were going to be charged. And they asked him all these questions about, were you reckless? Uh, it was it fascinating illustration study uh, in racism, white supremacy. I think exactly what you pointed out at the beginning of your response, how within a system of racism, white supremacy, you can have a black person in the in a position of power, quote unquote, but they are still going to have to respond to do the bidding of racism, white supremacy and how they handle these things, even though it may look like they have some power authority, whatever the case. I thought it was fascinating with the backroom deal that you were talking about. I don't think I saw any of that in the documentary film. Is that what did you did you? Not? Yeah, there was. Uh, yeah, there were you know, that was uh, something that um, we we had some issues getting it in there. There's, there's some legal things we were dealing with and uh, we couldn't really find a, a safe way to get that information out there. Um, and in a way that we could corroborate uh, enough, I think, to make it worthwhile to the film. But um, we do have on good authority that this, this occurred very early on and it, w- it went very high up, um, including the, ma- including the mayor, um, the district attorney's office and the university that they knew what narrative they were going to go with before the investigation was complete, it had just, you know, begun and it was underway. Um, now, speaking of uh, Jeffrey Rosenhack, I did read that letter when he sent it out, and basically he was asking the um, president of the university for an apology for issuing uh, an email saying that the women w- were harassed and assaulted and, and um, kind of just believing the women, or at least saying this is what, you know, what would happen on the bus, and uh, we, you know, we'd like to support them. Um, so that student felt like because the president didn't say this allegedly happened or this may have had to do with race, um, that, uh, that it was irresponsible, and that led to the rally. And in that letter, uh, he went on to say that he didn't believe that, actually, here I'll quote him, he said, to me, this is not a racial problem, this is not a gender problem, this is not black versus white or male versus female, it's about due process. So I would just like to formally ask uh, Jeffrey Rosenhack for an apology after seeing the documentary, and now he sees the ways that race played a role, I think he should recant his letter and consider apologizing now that he knows better. <laughs> I'll be I'll be curious if you uh, if you get that apology uh, just for additional information. Uh, they gave an interview to Jeffrey Rosenhag. This this is a fascinating case study on so many levels. I think it reveals so many elements of how racism, white supremacy operates and just standard things that happen. White victimization. In fact, I just I'd like to get you to comment to that because I think that's rife in this incident. I think even some of these black female scholars, they ultimately ended up being charged as the uh, aggressors uh, and the Mm. white people were the victims uh, in this case. That's such a major element in this case. But this is Jeffrey uh, Rosenheck and he's giving an interview uh, where he's talking about this letter where he's demanding an apology of the former uh, president, uh, black male of the University of Albany. It's like 60 seconds. You're a senior at this school. You've been here for four years, I imagine. Um, probably seen a lot of demonstrations about race relations and things like that. Does the fact that these three girls came out and reported this falsely uh, hurt this cause of, you know, trying to trying to uh, close the gap on re- racial relations and, and making sure that, you know, we do address this problem? Well, I specifically don't want to comment about 
race in this instance because my letter was not about it. It's about the fact that our president did not give any of these students due process. There was no fair trial, and he took these girls' word for it that it actually happened, and we're finding out it didn't. So it's not fair at all. What, what would you like to see now? I would personally, now with these charges being brought against these girls, I would like to see a formal apology saying that he was rash in his decision to send out an email saying that these students actually did this. Context of white supremacy. I really want to get your thoughts on white victimization, but I want to give you an opportunity. Anything you want to say in response to that, to that clip? Um, just that, I mean, uh, just use your judgment. This guy, he's a teenage, white, cis, heteronormative male. Like, this is, his, his view is always presented out here. Um, and why is, you know, why are, is the news interviewing this random student for a letter he wrote? Why aren't they interviewing some of the people uh, closer to the case? Why aren't they interviewing black women on campus? Why aren't they interviewing Professor uh, Dr. Chandler, uh, who's uh, a university professor who actually came out in support of the women? Uh, why aren't they interviewing people that matter? Instead, they go right from the, you know, the typical uh, white male perspective of the prosecution and the law enforcement and the university, and they just find the first white male student who says something, and suddenly he's given airtime. He's getting an interview on the news. I know there were there are tons of um, black liberation movements in this area who were working to defend those women, and they weren't um, reached out to to uh, speak to the the media. So the media was very calculated in what they chose to present, and that's part of the reason that this this uh, documentary was done independently um, because we wanted to express that. We wanted to offer a counter narrative. And your thoughts, because in my view, I could be wrong. White victimization is a huge aspect of this case. That Mr. Rosenheck, uh, Rosencheck, I'm sorry, saying that he is a victim. He wants an apology. Uh, the white, uh, some of the white individuals who are on the bus saying that they were victims uh, to Negro aggression and they want an apology or they want a prosecution. They want justice because they were victimized. Just can you speak to white victimization in this case? I mean, this guy would have to do some serious mental gymnastics to, to explain how he was victimized. He wasn't even on the bus, you know, um, and I think this is just a, a knee-jerk reaction when, when uh, somebody says that they're oppressed or victimized, you know, people try to find a way that they've been victimized. And I also think it's possible that there can be more than one victim in a situation. Definitely not Jeffrey Rosenheck, but it's possible that uh, a fight broke out on the, uh, uh, any fight could happen, right, uh, uh, anywhere. And two people involved or, or two parties involved or more can all be victimized during that encounter or that fight. But that doesn't dismiss the fact that in this case, the black women were also victims, you know, uh, and to say that they're not victims at all, only white people can be victims in this case is just, that's classic uh, white supremacy. It's derailing. It's, it's not true. I know for a lot of people, when the video was released, uh, edited portions of the video was released, that 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 had a major impact on how people talked about, uh, perceived uh, this case uh, and saying that it shows uh, that white people were not engaged in any, any sort of uh, racial uh, antagonism uh, and that the, the black females in this case, that they were the uh, aggressors. Uh, what do you make of, of how the video footage was released uh, and, and, and the editing in terms of it's not like they just put everything out so everybody could sit down the first time through and see everything from all the angles. What do you make of how the video footage was released? Well, the video footage was, was released to the media first. Um, well, they let a few people in the community see it, then it was released to the media. And, of course, the media is trying to make an interesting story. So they're going to crop out the parts that are boring. And I watched that entire video from multiple camera angles 
it's boring. Um, but the parts that they kept in were the, the best blows, the biggest hits, hair getting ripped out, you know. So they started the video in the media um, from a very, uh, you know, limited uh, view. And that gave people the impression that the black women were the aggressors. It also didn't make them look like victims because they had the audacity to fight back. Um, and I think, you know, that was intentional and that was misleading, a way to mislead the public. Now, when the full video was finally released by the district attorney office, it was, you know, put on a website that no, nobody went to, nobody's going to download gigs and gigs of video, watch it all, listen to the audio. So the fact that it was later released in its um, entirety didn't really um, benefit the women because by then people had already made up their mind from the little clips uh, that were present on the news. From the evidence that you've seen, the testimony that you've read, uh, what's your conclusion about who initiated physical violence? So, I, you know, I've seen every angle uh, of e that's available from the video. I think what I was trying to get across in the documentary is that it doesn't matter because I, I live in the city. So I see the, the fights that happen every week in this, uh, in this neighborhood, in this community, uh, from drunken UAlbany students. Uh, it's worth noting the black women weren't drunk, but the, the white students were. Um, you cannot tell who started the fight. You can hear the words that prompted the fight. It's, it's the racial, you know, words getting thrown back and forth, calling them ratchet, and then the, the last thing saying, why don't you get a fucking job? And um, that's what spurns the fight. But you can't see who throws the first blow. It's he said, she said at that point. And it doesn't matter because fights happen all the time in the city and, and college students fight. What matters is that even if, even if the black women somehow threw the first blow, one, that doesn't mean they started the fight because they were antagonized, and violence takes many forms, and, and I think you have to be part of a marginalized group to fully appreciate what that means. Um, but also that they, the way they've been treated since then is unjust, right? So even if they were involved and started the fight and just went in there maliciously and just started kicking people for no reason, the way they've been prosecuted by the university and um, being charged by, you know, the district attorney, the way they're aggressively prosecuting the case is not fair. The way they were slandered by the media and, and kind of told, you know, the, the media kind of told the public that they were lying and this is a hoax and, and just going against them. It doesn't afford them a fair trial. So w what we were trying to convey is that no matter what happened that evening, they've been um, maligned basically by the criminal justice system and that we have to do better. And we can't only throw the book at suspects who happen to be black or happen to be women. Uh, we have to either apply the law equally across the board or make sure that we point out when these injustices are happening so that we can uh, reverse them. Context of white supremacy. Again, we're discussing uh, Indefensible, uh, the documentary on uh, the University of Albany three, uh, these three black female scholars uh, who had this uh, terrible incident on a uh, public bus in New York uh, back in January and uh, has ended up just being a horrendous episode in their young lives. Um, I, I certainly uh, understand when you were giving us your response. Um, I certainly understand where you were, your, your premise where you said it doesn't really matter. Um, who struck first and that violence uh, takes many forms, not just in terms of physical violence and the, the racial verbal assault, right. That precipitated uh, all of this, mm -hmm. but just from uh, your research, the footage that you've seen, are you able to determine uh, who in your opinion uh, initiated physical violence? Uh, yeah. I mean, in, in from without being able to see it um, just from, you know, what you can see, it seemed to me like, Asia was swung at first. And uh, the only reason I say that is because in the video, you can clearly see that she 
like jerks away. She backs away at one point. And I think what happened was someone took a swing at her. And this is what she says in her version of events. Someone took a swing at her and then the fight was on. So I believe that, the, you know, one of the drunk women kind of who, who was yelling, you know, get a job and all this, uh, took a swing at her, a drunken swing. And, um, and that's what started the fight. Uh, but again, the, you, you can't see who throws or lands the first blow. And I think people have been so obsessed with, well, who punched first? That's how this fight started. And it's like to do that, you kind of have, have to dismiss all the nuance, all the context of what led up to um, the actual incident happening. There's that word context again. Very important. Um, I guess for uh, our listeners, because I also thought this was important, the rally that took place before I kind of get forward to, to some of the things that happened with the court and the, the school punitive action as well. Uh, there was a massive rally. Uh, hundreds of people uh, came out to support uh, these young black female scholars uh, and just to, to show their allegiance with what happened. Uh, can you talk about the significance of that rally and how that may be factored into how prosecution and university officials responded? Yeah, um, you know, I was present at the rally. Uh, it was it was a beautiful ordeal. Uh, basically, several black women on campus organized the rally, and it wasn't specifically related to that incident. It was in defense of black women all over the campus because so many people, um, so many black women heard the story and it resonated with them because they know what it's like to be um, black and on a, on a UAlbany bus and be surrounded by drunken white, white people and drunken white uh, men and women. And that, incident spurned this rally, which was just generally in support of black women. Uh, Rosa Clemente spoke, uh, Amani O spoke, uh, and also the three women were asked to speak. They didn't organize the rally, but they were asked to speak and they spoke briefly. Um, so the rally was just kind of a show of solidarity for all black women on campus. And it was very empowering and uplifting. And I think so many people came that that was another reason that the university wanted to kind of dismiss what happened and try and pass it all off as, as a hoax. Um, but yeah, it was, it was very powerful. And um, although the women didn't organize it, the three women didn't organize the rally or, or call the rally, um, they were essentially charged for their role in being present at the rally. And that was count number 11, which we focused on in the documentary. Wow. Context of white supremacy. I do see we have uh, some folks who uh, called in. Um, couple quick things I want to get to before I get to, to some of the folks who dialed in. Um, you have two of the three black females in this situation. They still have uh, charges pending. Is that Ariel Agudio and Asia Burwell? They still have their cases still pending. Is that correct? Yes. Two of the black women have cases pending. Okay. Uh, and as I read in the New York Daily News, uh, Agudio, she's facing one count of assault, three counts of attempted assault, three counts of false reporting, and three counts of harassment. Uh, Burwell is charged with one count of assault, four counts of false reporting, and one count of harassment. Uh, both uh, Agudio and Burwell, they both had an opportunity uh, to take a plea deal uh, where they could have completely avoided jail time, got, I think, 100 hours of community service. Uh, and just kind of had some resolution, uh, at least with the criminal uh, aspect of this case, they declined uh, to do so. Mm -hmm. uh, and so the case is moving forward. I thought that was significant um, to, to move forward because they are, they're facing jail time if they are uh, convicted uh, on these counts. Mm -hmm. uh, it could be up to, to two years from what I've read. What is, what is the significance of them turning down this plea deal? 
I mean, you know, uh, 96% of cases in this country are resolved by a plea deal, so I wasn't surprised that they were offered a plea deal. It seemed like the university, again, was more concerned with their reputation, so they, they, they had this plea deal on the table, which revolved around them, uh, the women just apologizing and saying they made it all up. Um, the, the women held out because they knew that they didn't, you know, what, what had happened uh, to them uh, didn't fall outside the realm of what they told 911 and what they told the police and that the, the fight was racially motivated. So uh, the women decided not to um, pursue those charges. Um, I'm sorry, to uh, take that plea deal. And uh, I think that's, that's significant because it basically shows that they're willing to take this all the way. I understand that one of the women took the plea deal, and that was, you know, essentially to avoid jail time. And I think that's why most people take plea deals. It doesn't mean that uh, that person is actually guilty. It just means that they don't want to go to jail. And if I'm being totally honest, uh, I actually wish that the women had taken plea deals because I don't want to see them go to jail. Um, that's part of the reason that we did this documentary. We want people to know the truth. And it's unfortunate that you have to decide between lying and uh, saying that you're guilty of something you didn't do just to avoid jail time. And, and that's kind of speaks to the injustice that's taking place right now. Hmm. Just for uh, listeners, uh, the third uh, black female in this incident, uh, Alexis Briggs, um, as she's talking, it was reported. Uh, she uh, did take uh, the deal. Uh, it was reported in the Times Union. The article Alexis Briggs admits making up U Albany bus attack racial bias claim. Uh, just so our listeners are informed, uh, it reads suspended University at Albany student Alexis Briggs tearfully apologized Tuesday while pleading guilty to her role in fabricating a story that she and two friends were victims of an alleged racial attack on a CDTA bus on January 30th. Uh, you knew it wasn't true. Albany County Judge Stephen Herrick asked. Briggs, who was recently suspended from U Albany for two years. Yes, she answered. Briggs, 21, of Elmira Heights, Chemung County, faced up to a year in jail if convicted of misdemeanor charges that included third-degree assault and falsely reporting an incident. Briggs pleaded guilty to disorderly conduct, a non-criminal violation similar to a traffic ticket. Under the deal, she must perform 100 hours of community service within the next 10 months and avoid any new criminal charges within the next year. Briggs does not have to cooperate against her co-defendants, former college sweetmates Asia Burwell and Ariel Agudio, both of Long Island, who are headed to trial on allegations they concocted the story. Uh, I would like to apologize to the community and to all people affected by the events that occurred on January 30th, Briggs told the judge while being consoled by her uh, defense attorney, William Little. I never intended any harm and I truly regret my actions. I was raised to take responsibility for my actions and being the source of such negativity is hurtful on many levels. Uh, this was not included in the documentary. Um, what would your response be to people who say, hey, this, this should have been included as part of the film? I think, again, that was pretty well known. That's something that was put out by, by the media uh, and, and kind of blasted all over, uh, you know, social media and media in general. People wanted this to be a hoax. So um, the, the purpose of the documentary wasn't to reinforce the things that the media had already said. Uh, it was to focus on the things that people didn't know. Um, so, yes, the, the one woman did uh, accept the plea deal. I think it's, it's important to note that she uh, didn't have to uh, incriminate the other woman involved and she, she refused to do that. And, uh, she just, she wanted to get on with her life. And, um, that's, uh, that's a valid, uh, that's a valid thing. I think if I were in their place, I probably would have accepted the plea deal too. Um, because when you're up against white supremacy and an entire university and an entire County, 
um, th- you know, things look bleak. And I, but I, I applaud them for holding out as long as they did, all three women. And I uh, definitely applaud, um, you know, Ariel and Aisha for hanging out, uh, for hanging on this long and, and taking it to trial because this is an important case. And it deserves, I think it deserves to go to trial. And uh, I think the truth deserves a chance to be um, presented. And even if they end up losing this case, um, I, you know, I have nothing but uh, appreciation for the fact that they were willing to stand by their convictions and uh, stand by the truth. Hmm. I just want to make sure I heard this correctly, because I appreciate people that are willing to tell the truth about the amount of pressure uh, that the system of white supremacy white supremacy can bring to bear uh, on the lives of black people. Uh, you said, if I heard correctly, set me straight if I you know, misheard, uh, that you wished that these young ladies had taken the plea deal so they could just move forward with their lives and, and not risk any further harm. Is that is that accurate? Yeah, you know, I've gotten to know them and, and get gotten to know the case intimately, and I, I I don't want them to go to jail. And it's unfortunate that you're put in a position where you have to decide between, you know, truth and justice and your freedom. And I think that's why that's that's set up by design. You know, people have to choose between uh, their freedom or, or, you know, sticking to the truth and, and what actually happened and justice. So, um, yeah, I, I don't want these women to go to jail. I don't think they, I don't think anybody's safer if they're in jail. I don't even think that the most, um, you know, ardent detractors of these women would say, yeah, I feel safer because, you know, you know, two, two skinny black girls are in jail. Like, it's not making the society safer. It's not giving anyone justice. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's unfortunate that you have to choose between your freedom um, or kind of just lying and, and uh, incriminating yourself, even if it's falsely incriminating yourself. Mm. Khalif Browder uh, comes to mind for folks who remember what happened to him also mm. in New York. Um, I wanted to, because just that concept of justice, uh, I think, is is so critical. There was a segment, and I played this on the program. This is uh, from February. So this is uh, as they were going to court and they were going to move forward with the uh, indictment of the other two females in this case. And I found the words of the judge in this case, who's a white woman, I found her words so striking. The role of white women in this case cannot be understated. Uh, highlight that when we talk about racism, white supremacy. But I just I want to play this segment and get your comments on the way that the judge talked about this incident and the question specifically when she says our community. Who do you think she's talking about? That's going to be the question. But just pay attention when when the judge is, is talking about this case and the damage that she thinks it's done. Context of white supremacy. Attack on the bus. Emma Cloy breaks it all down. She joins us now with more. And Liz, Greg, today we learned in addition to a male student, one of the women is now charged with having physical contact with two other passengers doing, during that violent bus ride. Ariel Agudio, Aisha Burwell, and Alexis Briggs faced a firestorm of media as they walked into court to be arraigned this morning. None of the women, each accused of assault in this incident on a CDTA bus January 30th, would stop to answer questions and stayed quiet throughout the hearing. Their lawyers all entering pleas of not guilty. If proven, those charges do have a profound impact on our community. In fact, if proven, they're shameful. Today, the Albany County District Attorney announced additional charges of harassment for both Burwell and Agudio. Agudio now facing a total of six charges. Burwell, three. The DA also announced altogether, arguing the defense hasn't been given all the evidence against the women, including victim statements and cell phone video. We don't have them, and I think yeah. they should be provided uh, to us properly. 
The motion was denied. The judge saying she wants this case to move through the court system as quickly as possible. This case really has already done enough damage in our community. It's like an open wound, and uh, I want it resolved. And today we learned Burwell has moved home to Long Island with her parents and is no longer a student at UAlbany. Agudio and Briggs are still enrolled in school and are allowed to keep their jobs while under supervision. Like an open wound, she wants it resolved. I think we talk about metaphors on this program a lot as well. Just who, when she says our community, who exactly do you think she's talking about there? She means white people. Um, you know, it's pretty straightforward. I was in court that day. That was Albany City Judge uh, Rachel Kretzer. And um, uh, that day in court, it, she, she spoke of how she wanted this, uh, this trial wrapped up quickly. You know, uh, it seemed like the, the subtext was regardless of the truth. You know, we want to wrap this up. And uh, one of the other things she said at that trial was that uh, she's speaking to the, to the three women and she goes, if you, you know, if you did this, you should be ashamed of yourselves. So she's like, she's on the bench shaming the women for a crime that they're innocent until proven guilty. And it just kind of showed her, her bias. And, and uh, you know, we, we were thrilled that uh, she eventually was superseded by an Albany County judge. But, you know, going into the trial and just to have that judge, who's a, a white woman, um, speaking down to these three black women, it, it, women, it was so reminiscent of what happened on the bus that night where you have a white woman antagonizing three black women and they, they have to decide, do I defend myself and risk getting into trouble or do I just sit here and take it? And, and the women sat in the courtroom as Judge Kretzer was, was uh, shaming them and they, they just had to take it, you know, and uh, it was hard for a lot of us to sit there and uh, be a witness to that, that glaring bias and, and uh, white supremacy in action. Might be another illustration of white victimhood as well. Um, I just I think that's something that's so important. Uh, that's another point that we this case uh, hits on so many of the issues that I think are crucial to understanding white supremacy. The role of white women, uh, the white judge in this case and the intoxicated uh, white girls that were on the bus uh, that started uh, this whole thing and ratchet this and get a job and all of this uh, just can because I in my view at least I think that that gets minimized frequently the role that white women play the mandatory role that they play in the maintenance of white supremacy just can you talk to how that's illustrated in this case yeah I mean um you know, the, the white women and white feminism in general are, are, are really dangerous, especially to black women, um, because uh, it's easy for a lot of liberal ideology to take what's, what's being said and presented by white women and say, okay, white women are also an oppressed group, so um, we have to listen to what they're saying. But uh, we don't really acknowledge the ways that uh, white women and white feminism are detrimental to black women and, and how often uh, a lot of the uh, achievements and progress made by uh, women in society are really only reserved for white women at the detriment of uh, women of color, especially black women. Uh, so that, you know, we saw that in action in the courtroom and um, we even saw it in action when Hillary Clinton tweeted about it because her reason for tweeting about this case was not because she cared about black women. It was because she cared about black voters. And at the time the, the, the case was hot and uh, she thought that she could get some more, black voters. So, so she's using black women to, um, to gain politically. Now, as soon as 
the um, media came out with this other narrative. Where's Hillary, you know, Hillary Clinton's never going to speak about these women again. Hillary Clinton doesn't care that these women are facing jail time. Um, you know, so it's like it, it shows the different ways that uh, white women can benefit from oppressing black women and how it can be more insidious because it's, you know, it's coming from, uh, from a woman. The same ways that having a black president at the university and a black district attorney can make it seem like what's happening is fair and just, but it's really at the detriment of black women. Did white feminists, uh, either like at the university level or, you know, even broader in the city of Albany or New York or wherever, did they come out to support these uh, three young black scholars, these black females? Uh, at the initial rally, it seemed like there was a pretty decent mix of people. There, you know, there were white people present, but I definitely didn't hear from any, um, you know, white feminist organizations doing that. But, you know, there's, there were also a lot of, um, it's worth noting that there were also a lot of black organizations, which are predominantly male-led, that, dismiss this case too, you know, so it's not, it's not only uh, white women, but also black men uh, who were kind of quick to dismiss it and say, okay, this isn't a priority for us right now. Uh, this, it, it's just black women. Like, you know, we don't have to believe them. It really doesn't matter. And uh, I think that's just the nature of things. And, and when we talk about, um, you know, misogyny and misogynoir and, and, um, and just racism in general and the intersections of the oppression that, you know, black women face, um, they, they're, a lot of times they're left out of the conversation. Um, that's a big part of the reason, again, that when we uh, put out this documentary, we didn't do most interviews. Several people approached us for interviews, and we wanted to focus to stay on, uh, on the black women, and we were referring them to black women. Uh, the only interviews that we granted were you and then another independent uh, journalist um, because we felt like they would do, you know, do the story justice. But, um, yeah, that's something that you know, black women uh, deal with, and you'd have, to, you know, you'd have to ask black women to really have a true understanding of, of that type of double-edged sword that they're facing. Hmm. Are there any black people specifically that said that they didn't want to deal with this case because it involved black females? Uh, uh, I'm not going to name names, but uh, yeah, there was definitely there were definitely you know black people uh, and and black um, students who wanted to drop the case once they started hearing that narrative. You know, they they pretty much ate up the the white supremacist narrative, and I think that you know black people aren't exempt from anti blackness, and black people aren't uh, impervious to white supremacy. So the same things that work and, and trick. Um, uh, white people and Trump supporters and, and, and conservatives into uh, being anti-black also work on black people, you know. So um, you, could, you could see just by the, the change in some of the comments and the way people were eating up the media narrative um, that some, you know, black people were also uh, not willing to, to defend uh, these, these women. Hmm. Wow. Um, before uh, we get to some of the folks who called in who had a question um the i guess you all you all made a, a great point about the imaging that was used in the media uh where mm -hmm. they would crop some of the images i think even uh from the sound clip that i just played from their court appearance uh that they would crop some of the images when they were in court to make yeah. it look like their hands were handcuffed like they were shackled but that was not the case at all they were not handcuffed but that's kind of the impression you would get from the way that they cropped the images as well as uh they would use graphics where they would have the words false like in the most huge font possible all caps and they would have it just branded across all of these three black females across their entire body uh and in fact uh, in looking at different reports uh, in pre uh, preparing for the broadcast, uh, there were like mainstream media outlets. I'm talking like CNN, people that, you know, think people think of as having some integrity with journalism. 
they were talking about this case and they would have an image of the three black females with false in huge font across them. And that, that wouldn't just be, we have that up at the beginning. They would have that up for the entire segment of the story, just kind of in the corner uh, while they're doing the interview. It was amazing. Just, can you talk about the, just that form of imaging of, of white supremacy imaging to criminalize these black females? Yeah, to, to criminalize and, and dehumanize. And actually, before I get into that, I want to say uh, one of the reasons we, we were careful not to um, refer to the, you know, the women as black females is because we believe that's something done to dehumanize um, the women in, in the media and also uh, among our own communities. So we were very careful like, to not refer to them as black females. But, um, yeah, uh, you know, these, these black women uh, were, were intentionally um, demonized and manipulated by the press uh, from very early on, and it wasn't just you know, uh, in, you know, impartial or or uh, unbiased journalism. It was an overt campaign to portray the women in a negative light, and that's why they went to such great lengths to make it seem like they were handcuffed in in the court. I was in court that day as well. You know, those women weren't in shackles, but the photos would lead you to believe otherwise. And, and just to, to be a news organization and to be able to put the word false right on their their faces while this is still in trial, it's like, what are you telling the community? You're, you're saying right, at, right up front, this is false, this is a hoax, and if you're in the jury pool, you've already seen this. How, how can these women get a fair trial when you have the main me- mainstream media in, in the area and nationally already condemning them? You know, there, there's no way that they can get a fair trial, and, and, uh, and, and the media just took it and ran with it. Just for comparison's sake, uh, if you want to take someone like Brian Williams, uh, the former, well, I can't even say former, he's back on the air, but the anchor who got white anchorman, uh, he got caught where he had been uh, making up stories, just lying about these different incidents, even lying about what happened to him during Hurricane Katrina uh, back in 2005. I don't like see his image when they talk about him. I don't see like liar branded across his body and particularly kept on the screen. Like there are many, many whites who have lied about many, many things. I don't see that same type of uh, treatment uh, afforded. And this is something that's even still in dispute, but I, boy, I guess it's not, I guess they've already concluded. They've, <laughs> they've already come to a conclusion about this. Um, we'll hit, yeah, yeah. we'll hit our, we'll hit our, our caller, the person who dialed in, uh, I think this might be our caller in Florida who, uh, recommended your film to begin with. Uh, did you have a question? Uh, we're talking about the documentary indispensable, uh, indefensible, excuse me, indefensible. Caller that dialed in with a hand up. Did you have a question, sir? Or ma'am, sorry. Uh, yes, sir. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Um, yes, uh, greetings to Gus, the host and the guests and the listeners and callers. Uh, I just wanted to ask a question about the the uh, the reports that were put out, like I, I don't like I don't know was that the the uh, the interview with the three victims, like I noticed that they wasn't really showing the whole like all of the interviews, and I just wanted to bring that up just to uh, echo that the system is, is very powerful when it comes to how a uh, an incident is portrayed when black people are the victims of racism and um was you mentioned that there was a site where the complete video of the bus incident was released uh do you remember what the site was 
Um, yeah, I can, uh, I can find that link and, and I can, uh, probably t- I can tweet it out later. I don't have it right in front of me right now. Um, but the, all the information was put out there. We just Google searched it to find it, but the district attorney, um, put out all the, um, bus footage anyway. Um, it's worth noting that the bus footage is in like a pr- pr- proprietary format. So it's not e- easily viewed. Uh, you have to install a program. You have to be using a windows PC. You kind of have to jump through some hoops to even watch it. Um, but it was all put out there. Uh, that's not to say that all of the testimony and uh, interrogation and statement footage was made available. That's, that's specifically, um, privy to the, uh, the, uh, prosecution and the defense. So that wasn't made available, but the bus footage was put out, um, you know, the different angles and, and uh, the, the whole footage, it was eventually dumped basically on a district attorney website um, where they would, where you, the footage was just compiled and archived. I'll see if I can find that while we're finishing out the interview though. I'll retweet it. If you, uh, if you tweet it out, okay. did you have another yeah. question, sir? Caller? Uh, that's all I can think of for now. Uh, thanks Gus. For sure. For sure. Uh, the caller at uh, last four digits six nine zero zero six nine zero zero. Did you have a question? Good evening, everyone. Good evening, Gus. Uh, good evening to the guests. I want to thank uh, Gus for having uh, the guest on the show. Uh, this is Jay out of New York. Um, I'm a graduate of uh, SUNY Albany, uh, uh, the mid '90s, and uh, this story actually kind of really hit home when I saw it on social media. And um, the alumni community, I guess I would call it the black alumni community, initially had this all over social media in the first couple of days that it came out. Um, As soon as the media broke with the, I guess, the lies that they started spewing about the story, um, it was amazing how quickly um, the black alumni on social media just totally shifted gears um in the support for the uh for the three black scholars um and and i would even include myself i was kind of like just on a seesaw trying to figure out but then i thought about my time in albany um and anyone who went to albany and lived in the albany area knows that if you're on a bus especially that suny albany bus and you're three black women surrounded by the amount of white students that were on that bus, they were not going to be the aggressors on that bus. Um, and, um, you know, they, they've had instances in Albany where things had taken place, but in that scenario, um, it just wouldn't have even made logical sense for them to be the aggressors on that bus. Um, and it's just kind of like baffling uh, for me at this point. And I guess we always say it, white supremacy is going to do what they're going to do. Um, but but it is kind of, um, and I know that we're all victims. But but the way that um, the the shift happened with the black alumni, um, it even makes me feel even worse that I didn't do more to kind of push this out there. Uh, but to the guests, I do thank you for the video. Um, I will be pushing that out to the uh, social media channels that I'm with, and kind of all the black SUNY alumni circles that are out there um, because I think we do have to revive this because if these women are still dealing with the amount of time that they have kind of with the system, hopefully we could do something to kind of give some type of support to them to hopefully change this uh, verdict around a little bit. Wow. Um, 
Thank you. Uh, I want to I want to address that, but I also want to say to the previous uh, person who asked the question about the bus footage, we just tweeted it out. So if you go to Indefensible Doc on Twitter, uh, you can uh, I put up the link to that. I also emailed it to uh, the the cows uh, podcast host, so uh, you should have that in your email as well. Um, but yeah, the uh, the there's so many things that could you know that could have been done to help support these women and keep, keep the narrative at least even so people could have a chance to know what the truth was. And uh, a lot of people, I think, immediately just kind of started taking the um, law enforcement and the district attorney's version of events and the university's version of events, and that's dangerous. You know, when you, when you're, when you have all of these um, resources at your disposal, news cameras and, and uh, uh, the, the media and, and the whole judicial system uh, in your favor, it's easy to sway people. Uh, this documentary was difficult to do because we don't have the same resources that white supremacy has uh, at their disposal, you know, and that's why there's not more documentaries like this. Um, but it's important to remember that we can still support them. There are different ways um, that we can uh, that we can help uh, these women. Uh, it's not lost. The case is still happening. If you go to indefensiblediocumentary.com, we have a new page up that says "Take Action," and if you click on it, there are six ways that you can help, and you don't even have to be in the area. Um, you can. Uh, write letters to the district attorney. You can write to the university. You can share this so people know, let people know what's going on. And uh, even if it doesn't reverse the system or even get these women justice, it can help uh, the, the women by letting them know that their story and their truth is out there. And it wasn't just dismissed by the entire um, society, you know, so there are ways we can help and it, it's not over yet. And just one quick question again, Gus, sorry about that. Um, in, in reference to any of the organizations, the Greek organizations, have any of those organizations stepped up and done anything in reference to providing any financial, um, any type of support that you know of? Not that I know of. Uh, to, to, to my knowledge, and I'm a little far removed from the university now, I used to be heavily involved. Uh, to my knowledge, the the main person or team taking on uh, this from the university are, are some of the students, uh, some of whom uh, were in the video, uh, Angelica Clark and uh, Deidre Michelle, uh, they're either teachers or, or uh, former students of the university and also Professor uh, Chandler, uh, who's, who's a tenured professor there now, uh, they're the only ones that I've heard from the university that have continued to kind of keep this in the light. I'm sure there are, there are other individuals, there's definitely other students in support, um, but no other organizations related to the university have uh, reached out to, to us or, or uh, some of the other local organizations. So um, it seems like the university has done a really good job of suppressing the information and getting, you know, the other student, the rest of the student body on board with their, you know, their false narrative. That answer your question, sir? Yes, it did. Thank you very much. For sure. Caller in New York, uh, did you have a question? Uh, we're discussing the documentary film Indefensible. Hello, can you hear me? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Um, good evening, Gus. And I just want to thank the, the creator of this documentary that's speaking. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this and to share this uh, story of these three women. Um, it, it actually reminds me of the Tawana Brawley case and how White suppressed that and called that a hoax. And I see a, the, the pattern there where they, you know, suppress the voice of, of black women, including the uh, woman that was, I, I don't know if she was raped by Dominique Strauss-Kahn, but the African woman that was attacked by him. 
So mm -hmm. again, I just want to say thank you for your work, and uh, and I'll my prayers will be with these women. Thank you. Oh, well, uh, thank you. And we just, you know, we just want to remind you, there's there's a lot of organizations that are are working to support these women uh, in the Albany area, and um, you know, they're they're doing the real work, and I think the uh, the women themselves are doing the real work by just staying in this case. So uh, it's worth noting that you know when we do this type of work a lot of it is, is, is out of selfishness. You know, I don't want this to happen to um, me. I don't want this to happen to people that I care about and know. I don't want this to happen to other people in my community. Um, so, uh, you, know, we, you know, we have to do this work, and, and we just have to remember that it, just because it's not us this time, it could be us next time. So, um, the, you know, there's, there's a reason why people are so uh, impassioned about this and why this case resonated with so many people. But, but thank you for your uh, comment. For sure. Um, I just I, I retweeted uh, the link where you can download the footage. So for people who follow at Until Justice, um, you can it's right at the top of my, my timeline. Uh, so you can get uh, that link and you can follow them on Twitter uh, as well. It's at Indefensible Doc at Indefensible Doc. Uh, you can follow them on Twitter to get updates as well. And I also tweeted out their link for uh, ways that you can take action uh, so you can get that. Uh, as well. Uh, are you familiar uh, with the 2007 film uh, Spinning Into Butter? Sarah Jessica Parker uh, was in it? Uh, no. Okay. That's come up a few times on the program. I was reminded of that uh, with this uh, with this whole case um, because, and Nafi, Nafi Satu Diallo uh, is the name of the black female who was uh, sexually terrorized by Dominic Strauss-Kahn. Uh, that was uh, 2011. Uh, but spinning into butter, I was reminded of it. Uh, the movie is about uh, there's an incident or several incidents of racism on a northeast college campus. And the press gets mm -hmm. involved and they have all these meetings to try to figure out what's happening. Uh, it's like one where it's very, very few black students on this campus. So they're, they're trying to figure out what happened. They get to the end and it turns out that the black student made all of this up. Uh, but did so mm -hmm. because he was trying to bring attention to racism. Uh, and so that's how all of this mm -hmm. concludes. It's, uh, it's kind of a strange movie, but it was brought up before. Uh, at any rate, uh, the reason I brought it up is because we've had quite a few other incidents of racism, white supremacy on college campuses. Uh, the incident that happened at Oberlin mm -hmm. College, uh, that was, I believe, 2012. We had students from the University of Michigan with their campaign, the University of Cincinnati, uh, San Jose State. I mean, all over the world, University of South Africa, this is a global problem. Uh, but one of the patterns that I've seen is that it will be consistently, this is another spinning into butter. Black people just made this up. They're always making up allegations of racism. That's one of the patterns that I've seen. And one of the points I think you started at the beginning of the program, you said that this is beyond just these three uh, black female scholars. It's beyond them that this is, you know, a greater issue of dealing, addressing, confronting white supremacy. And just if you could if you could speak, because I think it's so important consistently when black people, when we say we're being mistreated, we're being abused. Uh, it's discounted. It's invalidated in some way that you're lying. You're making it all up. You're just trying to find a way to blame white people for your troubles. Uh, just can you address that pattern? Uh, yeah, I mean, th this happens with every type of, uh, of oppression. And um, it's just hard to convince people who are, are privileged about what, you know, what oppression looks like to you. Um, I think 
my my best way my my favorite way to um to like present this is when you look at the uh the Americans with Disabilities Act uh the ADA Act that was passed uh, I believe in the in the in the 70s and it like the, this act went in place to do a lot of things for people with disabilities and one of the things was to make sure that we can get wheelchair ramps on sidewalks right now wheelchairs have been around for hundreds of years and people have been struggling to get on sidewalks for hundreds of years and been saying that, hey, this is a problem for hundreds of years. And it wasn't until the 70s where we were like, okay, all right, there must be really a problem. Maybe we should address it. And I think the same thing happens today when you talk about racism, because before we can even combat racism within white supremacy, uh, at least with white people, uh, we have to convince them that we're, you know, that this is actually racism. And, and there's such a poor understanding of what constitutes uh, racism and, and, uh, and, uh, and bigotry and prejudice that people are, are not willing to listen. And, and if they did listen, that would mean they have to admit that they're complicit in this. And nobody wants to admit that, you know, um, just like people who were walking on sidewalks that didn't have ramps didn't want to admit that there was a problem because it didn't affect them. Uh, so, yeah, so I think that's, that, that's kind of uh, tied to this case and that this idea of not believing people when they're describing uh, instances of racism or oppression or not being able to see it is, you know, it's universal. You know, it happens to marginalized people all over the world. And, you know, what happened at UAlbany isn't that unique. You know, it's really, this happens all the time. The, the only thing uh, unique about it was how much the case kind of got blown up and how aggressively um, the women were being prosecuted. But these type of micro and macro aggressions happen all the time. And convincing white supremacy is exhausting, you know, and, and frankly, we, sh- we shouldn't have to. Racial battle fatigue. Just talked about yeah. that on the program this month. Um, before we don't want to take up your uh, whole evening, I did want to make sure to elaborate because I thought that was an important point when you were talking about the, the punitive actions that the university took. They uh, expelled uh, two of these students and uh, the other, I believe Ms. Briggs, she was suspended for two years um, before there was even any resolution uh, to the criminal aspect of the case. And you talk about you, you talk about that in the film and how that was also a violation of due uh, process. I believe it was Article 11 that you addressed specifically in the film. Just can you give some of that information to our listeners? Uh, yeah, you, you mean just the different ways that the university was um was pro- like going after the women or you because we talked about count 11 which was specifically related to the rally right is that, and, is that the one you're right and uh i guess not being able to defend i think you were saying the way it was presented in the film that oh, the rally okay. other people were not allowed to uh defend them as well yeah so so the rally was essentially a way you know for for people to show support and defend these women and and it, it was like this additional charge was thrown at the women not the people who organized the rally and it's kind of uh you know it's almost like to set an example like if you if you come out and support of of some somebody and the university or the the county doesn't like it they can add additional charges so say say you and I are are gunned down by the police mm-hmm. and then our friends and family you know uh throw a rally and then suddenly they're char- you know they're charging people other people involved who did our family who didn't even throw the rally they're just saying oh because you let this rally happen we're going to charge you now you know that's a scary thought um because now it's like you can't speak out you can't even defend yourself against the system without having uh, additional charges levied against you so it's like the system is coming at you from all angles and you can't even throw the right to assemble used to be or should be a cornerstone of uh 
you know, what, what we call American freedom, right? And, and that the fact that that's taken away in this instance where black women are throwing a rally and, uh, so, you know, using their own power and their own agency to do it, and that suddenly become a criminal act. And meanwhile, in the same city, we have the KKK have rallies, the Westboro Baptist Church have come here and had rallies, and, and they're not being charged. It kind of just shows that the, the different ways that, uh, you know, freedom of speech and, and the freedoms in this country are afforded to some at the expense of others Mm. context of white supremacy for sure also wanted to make sure i got in i I appreciate you giving your uh explanation the reasoning as to why you deliberately do not use the term uh female i do have deliberate reason why i say uh black male and black female specifically uh, and i do not say black men and black women but i will do that another day um Before uh, we wrap up, I just, again, want to remind people, you can see the entire documentary. It's available for free. You can go to IndefensibleDocumentary.com. It's linked in the description for the program, IndefensibleDocumentary.com. You can download it, share it, uh, get it out to as many people as possible. I think it's really important uh, that folks do not just kind of forget uh, this event, ho-hum, and and move on as we go into 2017, because you can, uh, as has been stated consistently, uh, there's still help. There's still things that can be done to support uh, in this case. Uh, And I tweeted that as well, uh, just on uh, Until Justice. Uh, about ways, six things, six ways you can take action. Uh, that's also at uh, indefensibledocumentary.com, the six ways, things that you can do uh, to continue to help and support with this case. Uh, anything that, thank, that you yeah, want to... Thank you so much. Oh, oh, I'm thank sorry, you so much for tweeting that out. That's the most important part of this whole thing. Even more important, I think, than the documentary is just letting people know the ways that they can help. So thank you for tweeting that out. Oh, for sure. Thank you for, for all of the immense work, the website, the film, and, and everything. And not just you. Uh, I'm sure all of the people uh, that contributed in some way, shape, form, and putting the project together, time, editing, interviews, finances, uh, whatever, uh, getting the word out, the, the website and all that. That's a lot of uh, man and, and woman hours uh, invested to get that project together. So thanks to all of the people who uh, contributed, not just yourself. Uh, and thank you for, for sharing your time with us. But anything else uh, folks should know about? or should be on the lookout or can they just go to the website for updates and information um yeah they can go to the website definitely click the take action link uh i do want to say you know uh, what we were able to do with the documentary took a lot of time and and time comes with privilege so if you have time or you know someone who has time to afford to these things you can get a lot done uh with that with that time so um this whole uh, documentary was really brought together by two or three people in addition to the people that we brought in to to interview and, and provide their expertise um, but in in terms of the technical aspect it was really a very small group of people who did this and uh, the time was the main resource that that we had so if you have access to um, some you know some computers and some time and to, to investigate and do some know-how you can make a pretty substantial um, you know piece of, of, of media and counter narrative out there and uh, if anyone has questions you know you can uh, tweet me, uh, tweet us at Indefensible Doc, or shoot an email to Indefensible uh, Documentary at Gmail dot com, and uh, you know we, we we'd be willing to help or give you some tips in, in how to get something like this going. Uh, so with just a little bit of resources um, and some time, you can really change the narrative and and, and do this work. Man, <laughs> that is brilliant. We talk about how we use our time and energy on the program all 
the time. <laughs> that is so, so crucial. So I, I super appreciate that as well. Everything has been great, but that is fundamental, uh, just changing the way we use our time and energy. And again, massive uh, commendation to all of the folks, you specifically and, and everyone who pitched in, your small team who put this project together. Uh, just phenomenal illustration of black self-respect uh, supporting these black female scholars. And uh, I just, I think it's great and I will continue to share. And uh, as we proceed, if you all are willing to come back and, and speak with us to kind of update us, is this, I guess this is going to trial. So we will definitely, well, what I'd like to do, what I would like to do is like maybe challenge you to, to have um, reach out to some of the, the women, reach out to Dr. Chandler. And, and it's important to keep, you know, to, to center the women and, and uh, get, get their voice and get their opinion on this. Um, but uh, yeah, that's something I, I can even talk to you with. If you want to get in touch with some of these people that I'd, I'd love to be a part of that. Oh, absolutely. I am. a. Uh, I guess the only hesitant I have, if you're saying that like the, the, the victims uh, in the case, because the criminal or the case pending, I guess I'd have hesitancy about that. I, you know, no people can be restricted about what to say or not. But certainly Dr. Chen. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyone else? <laughs> yeah. Uh, until that. Yeah. Until that. Until the trial's over, the, the women probably couldn't speak. But, yeah, there are definitely other uh, women who are kind of helping locally lead the campaign and um, and kind of support the women. So I can give you those names and, and maybe you could get them on and get uh, an even a more robust perspective on this. Oh, absolutely. Done deal. Done deal. <laughs> we will make that happen immediately. Um, Thank you. Just again, thank you. I just I think it's a monumental act of black self-respect, what you and and the folks involved are doing and just uh, monumental appreciation uh, and and well earned uh, for the work that you're doing. Continue the effort and we will definitely be in contact to follow up and get uh, some of your other recommendations to get more information about this incident. Oh, thank you for sure. Enjoy the rest of your evening. And thanks again so much for sharing some of your time with us, sir. We'll do. Thank you so much for having us uh, on the show, uh, show. We really appreciate it. Look forward to the podcast. Absolutely. Absolutely. Take excellent care mm-hmm. and stay safe. You and everyone else stay safe. Yep. Good night. Good evening. Context of white supremacy. Uh, that website again, indefensible documentary.com indefensible documentary.com. And uh, we will follow up. We'll get more information uh, on the support. And thank you to our caller down in Florida. He mentioned the documentary film this past uh, weekend. I had said that, uh, that I wanted to kind of keep an eye uh, on this case. I thought it was important when we were talking about it back in January and February and I guess on up through May or so. Uh, but I wanted to keep an eye and, and just follow up with this. So absolutely, we'll be staying tuned. Uh, and this can be another tool to teach. If you have uh, college students uh, or maybe soon to be college students uh, can maybe be another method uh, of teaching uh, other black people about the system of racism, white supremacy. Uh, I just I, I cannot let it go. Uh, the role of alcohol in this whole situation. That's something we talk about on this program all the time. Again, some morons saying sobriety would be best under the system of white supremacy. And uh, I believe I guess the filmmaker, I think he did share that the uh, the black females in this case, that they were not intoxicated. This is another example I would submit. Uh, anybody out there, if you think that these black females would have done better if they had been, you know, had a blunt or some alcohol, step forward and let's hear that logic. If you think that this would have worked out better for them if they had been intoxicated too. Anywho, with whites and alcohol, stated that for years, that's one of the most dangerous combinations in the known universe. And I just I use this in, this unfortunate incident uh, to, again, highlight that's really something that we have to to just take seriously. Whites are dangerous. 
the system of racism, white supremacy is war against non-white people. And we just have to have that in mind at all times. The danger uh, that we are in as vulnerable victims of racism, that's black females, black males, black children. We are in a vulnerable position and that can happen any time. We did that whole program back in 2012. Uh, white people can ruin your life in a matter of minutes. Uh, and white women were at the center of that broadcast as well. Uh, if you remember, and I believe it was white women and alcohol. Uh, I just want to play Mr. Fuller. Uh, he spoke to that whole issue and why we should take this really, really serious. Uh, and, and even if you kind of see yourself in this sort of situation where it looks like it might be some whites and they're under the influence of it being rowdy or what have you to just immediately be like, man, we need to be on high alert. Maybe we need to move. Maybe we need to get off this bus. We need to exit immediately because this could go really, really bad. And just it, this whole incident, it reminded me of that incident. And there are quite a few others where people have shared with just things it just can go from from calm to total combat and it'll be something small like that. A white person, you know, saying ratchet or nigger or they just make some sort of racist comment. And it just particularly if alcohol is involved. So I just want to play that again. And, and, and again, uh, super gratitude and thanks to the filmmakers, uh, our guest for this evening specifically uh, and all the folks involved with the project. Just monumental illustration of black self-respect uh, in supporting these black females uh, in this case. Uh, but this is Mr. Fuller talking about the dangers of whites and alcohol context of white supremacy. White woman white with hair. Niggas don't take precedence over that. Period. Now see, I, um, see that that got way out of hand, and see, of course, this is all Monday morning quarterbacking I'm doing here. But see, a person has to be conscious. These are life-changing things. People have to be aware of that. Things come out of nowhere. You have to be on your toes all the time. And you got to always come up with the what-ifs in just a few minutes. And you can't look at it like you got anybody on your side. So everything has got to be almost, you know, hey, open and shut. Now, when the ladies start tossing their hair back there, that's got to be thought of immediately. Uh-oh, here we go. Here's a life-changing incident. Everybody involved in here now is going to be, they, they, they are, they're going to be dogged with this incident for the rest of their lives. That's the way to look at it. White woman tossing her hair on some black people and whatnot in a restaurant full of white people and all like that. You think you're going to get the best of that story? Not at all. That's the way you're supposed to be thinking. This is a war situation here, and we are surrounded by enemies. With reinforcements coming. With reinforcements coming. Now, if you're not prepared to kill everybody who's an aggressor, you don't show no signs of aggression. You surrender in that situation. Have to.
when you say surrender, um, what do you mean? You, do, you don't make no protest. I wouldn't. That white woman tossing her hair over there, I would go and, and ask for another booth or something if I couldn't sell it with her, if I asked her not to do that. She says she's not going to do it. Kiss her, whatever. I would just go and say, well, I need another booth because we're having a problem over here. Okay. And if they don't want to give me another booth and all like that, well, then, hey, maybe this ain't the place I should be no way. That's just the way it is. Your antenna has got to be up. That, you know, this race thing doesn't go away. It dominates everything. That's got to be in your mind all the time. Now, that's a terrible way to have to be in the world, but that's what I talk about. That's the world that we're in. You know, and, and when everything is relatively quiet and whatnot, people call in the programs and all like that and say, you know, well, you know, hey, he's old school and whatnot, and he's making it all up. That ain't got nothing to do with what's happening now. My experience has been this, and my experience has been that, and that's when you drop your guard. And that's when you lose your job, and five years later, you are in the lockup on account of your financial situation has gone completely to pot for the rest of your life. That's how they do it. It ain't by magic. It's all by plan. And that white woman would say, yeah, I just tossed my hair on them niggas, you know, hey. White woman with hair. Niggas don't take precedence over that. Period. Period. They got to learn the hard way. They did. Context of white supremacy, that is Mr. Neely Fuller Jr. Uh, and just to make sure uh, there is no confusion, uh, I'm uh, in no way playing that audio segment uh, to suggest in any manner uh, that the black female scholars in this situation uh, did anything incorrect or even in the situation Mr. Fuller is talking about. Uh, I only play that uh, with importance and emphasize the seriousness of it. Uh, because I think what Mr. Fuller is saying uh, is recommending that we really be mindful when my blog, it says racism is war. When I use that term terrorism, that's the mind frame that we have to be in. As he stated, that's unfortunate. It's terrible to have to think that that's the world that we have. That's what we have. Unfortunate. Uh, and just seeing a situation when I say whites and alcohol, one of the worst combinations in the known universe uh it can happen so quickly where things can ignite and as he stated an incident a situation where you have legal fees and and just all of this and whites they have a whole racist apparatus army that's just waiting where they can just make up things and lie and take up your time and take up your money and take your health uh and i mean it's uh, it is frightening it is i mean really it's terrifying uh, just and how easily and how frequently these types of events happen that something so small uh, and, you know, all of this. Uh, so just to really uh, keep that in mind as we move throughout our day and, and these type of episodes and and how we function uh, and just the importance of counter racist codification uh, in terms of thinking about how we want to respond 
what to uh, what to say, what to do, the best way to conduct ourselves in these situations and keeping in mind that we're just we're not going to have, you know, a whole lot of backup or army of people coming to uh, hold it down for us uh, that, you know, we're going to have to deal with the situation as best we can uh, and just trying to get out as, as safe as possible is uh that is racism, white supremacy, uh, unfortunately. But I'm always about it, and I tell this to everybody, and I employ this myself. Anytime if you see intoxicated whites, man, uh, try to uh, try to steer clear of those environments. If it's something like a bus or something like that, if you can move to a different area, great. Even if you might need to sacrifice the bus, that might be something to think about. And again, you know, this is this is code that I employ just because I recognize that as a massive source of danger to black people, whites and being under substances, alcohol, drugs, whatever it is. Wow. They're dangerous when they're sober. It's dramatically magnified if they're under the influence. Uh, I will stop there. Uh, I have (laughs) an issue. So we will be wrapping in about three minutes. I'm going to hit retired firefighter. Did you have a comment you wanted to get in before we get ready to wrap up, sir? I don't know if he he might have just been uh, just listening. Retired firefighter, did you? Oh, I, 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 I had it on mute. Then. I was talking all the while, but I forgot I had it on mute. Uh, just to uh, reinforce on what you uh, just finished talking about, and Mr. Fuller, uh, very clearly to me, uh, uh, is, is illustrating, uh, and especially with white women, very dangerous. Uh, we have to understand that white women are protected by a global system. If, if one thinks that, oh, well, I'm a male, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a black male, I'm, uh, you know, whatever, I ain't, ain't going to bow down to this white woman, you know, or, 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 or assume that she is uh, interested in uh, that black male sexually or, you know, whatever, uh, that it could quickly change on you to the worst. Uh, uh, classic case, uh, uh, Iverson, Alvin Iverson, how immediately within seconds, his life changed within seconds, uh, uh, innocently at a bowling alley. And, uh, yes, there were white males involved, but specifically, I believe would even up the case even more. There were white females involved that said that, uh, people were throwing chairs that got hit and, and one of them got hit upside the head. You know, something like that. Uh, I believe Randy Moss was in a similar situation uh, in and around the same time from the transition from going to high school to college, and, and which totally changed his life, if, if I'm correct on it. I know he was arrested on something similar. I'm not sure exactly what it was. But there, there's tons of cases involved where white females directly are involved. You go to, you go to these, these uh, professional football games. Uh, you, you're gonna you're gonna see oodles of drunk white people wandering around out in the clear open, and it don't take much. It don't take much. Uh, you said something about the Packers, and I'm a Packer fan, and and it's on, and it's on. And it's not gonna go well if you're a black person in and around that atmosphere. Thirty you seconds. Know, uh, because oh, that that's it. That's it. That's all I wanted to say on that. And uh, so thank you for uh, letting me. Uh, I'll state that. Thank you. For sure. For sure. I just want to reiterate the documentary, uh, indefensible documentary.com. You can download it. You can watch it online, share it, 
great material. I think you should check it out. If you have college students or soon to be college students, get them to check it out. It might be a great way to get some younger uh, black people to think seriously about the issues of racism. And I, I just, again, want to salute uh, both our guests this evening and all the folks involved in the project for stepping up to support these black females. I think that is just an absolutely phenomenal illustration of black self-respect. Uh, I am sure Dr. Uh, Dr. Francis Cress Welsing uh, would be elated uh, at seeing black people coming out uh, to make sure that they are not forgotten uh, and to get out uh, information from their perspective to combat uh, the way that racism, white supremacy can really warp our thinking. I thought that was such a crucial component of the documentary as well. The cropping of the images to make them look like they were in handcuffs and branding false across their images, their bodies, uh, huge aspects of white supremacy. Uh, and they just can be very effective uh, at contaminating all of our brain computers. With that, we'll be here tomorrow, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific for Workplace Racism. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Thanks to our guests. Check out the film, IndefensibleDocumentary.com. Creator, we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people, victims of white supremacy. We ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves. Remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times, in all places, each and every time. We are in contact with another black person. It has been time. Replace white supremacy with justice immediately. Cow signing out. Thanks all for tuning in. Nigga, you so brainwashed. I'm a victim, What's your brother. Problem? You're a victim. Yeah, I'm a up. victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my conditioning. Mm -hmm. Even my conditioning has been conditioned. Yeah. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.